You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with uh, the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast series. I've got Scott Bonner. He's a uh, PhD student at Oxford University over in England. Um, we're going to be talking about extracellular vesicles, one of my new favorite topics. So, Scott, thanks for coming. Hi, Richard. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of attention about EVs lately. So what uh, attracted you to study them and, and what are you working on specifically? So. Um... What attracted me to, to extracellular vesicles was um, just the the diverse array of um, of possibilities there are um, surrounding vesicles in terms of them as a, a therapeutic delivery platform uh, and how they can have um, potential uh, to uh, affect and um, sort of um, provide a therapy for almost anything you can you can really think of, from um, really basic things like like broken bones through to to really complex sort of processes like cancer, and and being able to to safely deliver um, potentially a, a drug that's already on the market to a, a specific site um, within uh, the human body without it being um, mopped up by by the immune system. Um, allows us to sort of achieve a much higher um, efficacy than what uh, you might be able to achieve than just using that that drug alone. Um, so that that immediately sort of jumped out at me when I first discovered um, the extracellular vesicle field. Um, but I, I sort of um, I, I didn't really seek it out as as an area of research um, prior to entering into it. Um, my my first exposure to the the field of, of extracellular vesicles was um, my my first job uh, actually my first full time job after leaving my um, undergraduate and, and postgraduate studies at um, the University of Lincoln in the UK um, and I, I was a research assistant for a company called Evox Therapeutics um, who have now um, established themselves as as one of the leading names in. Uh, exosomal and uh, EV-based therapeutics um, oh, nice. in the UK and and internationally. So uh, I, I had a research assistant role with them, and then uh, I, I moved on to to get a uh, or start my my DPhil and PhD at uh, University of Oxford, where I am uh, now. 
there was some some questions about EVs. Um, how specific are their targets? Do they, you know when a cell puts them out? Do they get absorbed into a whole bunch of cells, or somehow are they only absorbed into one target cell type? So um, it, it's not entirely clear whether um, the the cell that obviously produces the EVs is able to actually dictate that on on such a specific level as to sort of target the EVs to one site and one site only and uh, not allow any of the EVs to be mop typed by um, any any of the other cell types that might be sort of on on the way to getting to that particular cell type. Um, But what's sort of clear from what we know is that in terms of uh, EV biogenesis, um, the the EV itself, um, from what we're aware, is is a snapshot of the the cell that produces it. Um, so there are many sort of receptors and uh, just proteins on on the surface of these EVs that are, are derived from the cell that produces them itself. So um, it's it's possible that um, the uh, the cells that produce the EVs and then subsequently the EVs themselves. Um, will will communicate with uh, cells that, or yeah, communicate with cells that the cell that produces them would normally communicate with in in the first place. Um, but but as for whether um, they can be targeted naturally with with specific sort of receptors or or targeting motifs that enable them to go to um, one specific site, it's it's not entirely clear at the moment. Well, they're not just random. You know, communications that, you know, it's not like uh, someone's writing a letter and just, you know, with no addressee and just throwing it in the post box intended to go somewhere, right, when it's created? For sure. I mean, um, there will be, as I say, I mean, um, motifs on the the cell surface that are able to direct where that that EV goes. Um, But uh, in the context of um, whether the cell can can dictate that a, a particular cargo of, of a certain type that might have use at a, a very distant site and, and then couple up a, a targeting motif with that certain cargo is it's still not entirely clear. Um, maybe that's why they, I mean, the cells seem to produce them in an overabundance. They don't just produce a few, but they produce, what, like thousands or hundreds of yeah, thousands sure. of a particular type? Per, per cell, you, you um, would typically get thousands of EVs that are produced, yes. And then um, has anyone observed the biogenesis of an EV? I mean, I, I guess the outer cell membrane can butt off or vesiculate and make them. And I guess internally, different types of EVs are packaged and created. But how much insight and microscopy has there been done to see you know, EVs being created the biogenesis of them. Um, so, from what I'm aware, um, there have been studies that have used things like fluorescent um, microscopy and, and super-resolution fluorescent microscopy to to study um, the formation of EVs uh, on sort of a more single cell level. Um, and yeah, you're you're right in saying that there's um, multiple different ways that these EVs can be formed. Um, so, in Years gone by, um, EVs have been typically classed into um, three broad categories. Um, the first sort of category are called microvesicles, which 
um, sort of range in size from about uh, 100 nanometers up to uh, 1,000 nanometers or one, one micrometer. And they uh, are directly budded from the cell membrane itself. Um, similarly, uh, there's, there's another broad category called um, apoptotic bodies, which are um, produced by uh, apoptotic cells uh, themselves. They can be formed in a very similar manner in terms of the, the budding of the apoptotic cell itself, or they can be um, fragments of, of the apoptotic cell. And so they can be much larger, getting up to sort of around uh, 2,000 nanometers inside or two, two micrometers. And then the, the final broad category is, is exosomes, um, which are produced um, by the inward budding of um, multivesicular bodies inside the cell, which um, is all part of the, the endolysomal system, which ends up forming things like lysosomes and, and intracellular vesicles. Um, and this multivesicular body um, will then fuse with the cell membrane and release uh, a whole bunch of, of exosomes at, at the same time. And uh, the, these exosomes are typically uh, sort of around uh, the 30 to 150 nanometers in size. So um, some of the, the smaller uh, varieties that we know of. But um, in, in terms of their classification, um, the field is, is moving um, further away from, from trying to uh, classify exosomes and, and EVs in this particular manner, um, as there's a lot of sort of crossover in terms of the, the size of the EV. So while you might look to isolate uh, an exosome, for example, well, exosomes in terms of size actually cross over with um, microvesicles and apoptotic bodies itself. So without um, using uh, techniques like an immunoprecipitation and um, identifying an epitope on, on the surface of any one type of these um, EVs, then it's highly likely that you're going to be purifying out um, multiple different kinds of EVs in, in terms of their formation, not just one specific type. So instead, right. the field is moving towards sort of classifying them as small extracellular vesicles and large extracellular vesicles and, and so on. I gotcha. And then what about when they're taken up by a cell? Has that been observed and how does that happen? Does it sure. Just, you know, there's yeah. certain receptors on a cell membrane that it, it finds and then it gets pulled into the cell. How does it work? Sure. So um, again, th this is uh, another area of research that um, we're, we're still not um, in entirely certain how uh, exactly um, it, it happens. Um, uh, for, for sure, um, it has been um, studied before uh, in a very similar manner to how I mentioned previously, using um, fluorescent-based techniques and, and super-resolution microscopy um, and, and observing these vesicles sort of making contact with a recipient cell and then being um, sort of absorbed inside by some manner. Um, in some cases, this can be sort of the, the invagination of, of the cell membrane and then sort of drawing the, the EVs inside in, in their own compartment. And then what happens from there, we're not entirely sure. Um, yes, in, in, uh, it, it could be in some cases that the EV fuses to, to the cell membrane via uh, a receptor of sorts that might be on its surface. Um, but uh, as to whether there is a, a more common type of um, uptake um, or, or whether there's, there's more process that processes that dictate how an EV is going to be taken up by a recipient cell, we're still um, unsure, not, not entirely clear yet.
Yeah, I wonder if um, cells either allow or don't allow certain EVs in at the membrane level, or if everything's taken in and there's like a processing station where they're determined what's going on with them and if they should be opened or not or expelled or, you know, digested. And yeah, any, absolutely. Any observation yeah. of any of that? There, there could well be um, something like that, especially in, in sort of cases of, of uptake where it's literally sort of the cell engulfing uh, a section of, of the extracellular space and just potentially drawing in uh, a whole host of, of different particles um, and, and then having to, to sort through those to um, either degrade the, the um, EVs that end up inside in, in lysosomes or something like that, or then, yes, like you say, maybe expelling them from the cell uh, itself. Um, and in terms of the effects that that might have on the cell once the EVs are inside, yeah, um, again, we're not entirely certain, but it's, uh, it's certainly a possibility. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing I've learned from all the interviews I've done is that cells and biology is not stupid. It's not random. It's very deterministic. It's very smart. Yes. And I, I always start with that assumption, but I see like a lot of scientists seem to always, maybe out of fear, I don't know, essential dogma, they're always starting with the random, the, uh, you know, the no intelligence, the uh, just, oh, it's just luck or, uh, again, random action or Brownian motion that, that things happen. So, I mean, do you, in your research, do you look from one perspective or another, or do you try to be neutral and just say, let's see what happens? Um, so, in my research, my research is is focused a lot on uh, vesicle heterogeneity, this idea that a cell releases a, a, a whole host of, of different types uh, of vesicle, or, or, of course, whether that heterogeneity of EVs is is due to the the phenotype of, of the cell itself so it, it's it's something that I, I'm trying to look into in, in in my research and try and characterize um, far more sort of in depth whether the the cell can uh, dictate um, far far more than um, this this idea that it vesicles are just produced entirely at random um, what actually en ends up in, in a vesicle and, and what its its function ultimately is. Um, so one of the ways that um, I'm hoping to, to look into that is um, by making uh, single cell clones of, of a particular cell type and growing, growing those up um, sort of individually separate from one another. So all of these cells in essence will be um, the same in terms of their type to one another, but over time you'd expect their their phenotype to to drift apart from one another ever so slightly. So we want to see whether that that drift could potentially have an impact on the vesicles themselves, and whether um, cells can produce vesicles that are better at performing a, a particular function, such as um, they get taken up a lot by um, I don't know a, a T cell or or, or any any cell type you want to target to to um, sort of advance and enhance their therapeutic potential for treating a specific disease and and ultimately once we go through a sort of in-depth characterization process looking at all the different proteins and studying the proteome and, and genome of, of these um, EVs um, we'd, we'd ultimately like to be able to sort of inform industry and, and say well instead of using just the EV population as a whole um, that are produced by cells of a particular type, you should 
focus in on, on EVs that have this protein on their surface, because from what we know, um, they're better at um, treating um, breast cancer or, or something like that. So that, that's the, the goal of my research. So sort of coming at it from the idea that, that cells, uh, cell populations will release a, a wide variety of, of EVs and, and what that depends on it is still not entirely clear but uh, sort of trying to to hone down into um, whether there's a, a particular subset that's that's better at doing a particular function than than others well how many different kinds of evs does a, a cell put out you know are there any experiments that you know put like a net around a, a cell somehow or was able to you know sample the microenvironment of a cell and culture and see oh okay we centrifuged all this stuff and it looks like there's uh, sure. 10 different um, kinds of EVs. I mean, in terms of, of um, how many EVs uh, a cell produces, um, just sort of purely by, by back calculating, um, when we do EV purifications from a, a cell population as a whole, we can work out sort of on the average amount of EVs that a single cell would produce, which I alluded to earlier was sort of in the, in the thousands. Um, but in terms of the, the different types of vesicles that, that uh, a single cell is able to produce and, and actually seeing whether there's sort of a pattern to, to what is being produced, um, as far as I'm aware, there's, um, there's nothing really like that in, in the literature at the moment. And I think um, just from my perspective, I feel like that would be quite a feat to achieve um, as, as you're talking about trying to separate out individual vesicles in a, in a population and trying to look at the, the singular differences between um, vesicles which, which are, are nanoscopic in size. So um, it's, I think it would be quite, quite a, a difficult study given the, the current um, technology that we have in the field to, to be able to achieve something like that. But um, certainly just because they're they're so small, there's no microscopy yeah. system. That's not a flow system where you can observe them. Or, I mean, even centrifuging them that breaks them apart and mushes them all together, right? Mixes their contents. Is there no way to preserve them and try to observe different ones? Sure. Well, um, I, I guess um, it, to do singular EV analysis, um, I'll, I'll backtrack a bit and say that actually there there is. Um, there are techniques out there in, in which you can look at um, uh, singular vesicle phenotype. There are they're sort of quite uh, novel uh, in terms of things like um, imaging flow cytometry, for example, um, which is uh, one of the things that I would, I would hopefully like to be able to do um, in my projects that um, and, and study the, the phenotype of a vesicle on, on a singular level. And the, there is some... Um, sort of tools out there at the moment for, for looking at singular vesicle phenotype or in terms of uh, the population as a whole. So instead of separating out individual vesicles, um, looking at the population as a whole and seeing what's present on, on one vesicle when it's still part of, of, of a, a larger population. And again, that's, that's using techniques like, like flow cytometry and, and so on. So um, there, there is now the, the available techniques. It's just... Um, the it, it hasn't quite been done yet but i think we're um on the cusp of of being able to um, hopefully uh, achieve something like that and, and get insights into in individual vesicle composition released from from populations as a whole well is that going to be your first paper to, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I, 
I, I don't think it will be my, my first paper. Uh, hopefully not. Um, but uh, no, I mean, that's the subject. Yeah, uh, hope, hopefully uh, soon, soon down the line, uh, it, it will it will be it will form part of a, a publication. Yeah. So if um, if you were to make a laundry list of the ways that cells communicate, I mean, how much of a major way of communication are EVs, and you know, what are some other common cell to cell communication methods that you know of? Sure. So it's it's emerged over the last sort of decade or, or few decades that the EVs are um, a very important part of, of intercellular communication. The, prior to their sort of more rigorous research um, over the last sort of two decades or so, they, they were previously thought to be just mechanisms of um, the cell eliminating waste from, from them. But actually, it's, it's been found that they, they do um, traffic to um, different cells around the body and, and um, affect their their uh, phenotype and and so on. Um, in, in terms of um, other methods of of um, cell cell communication, things like cytokines and so on are methods of, of cells being able to communicate with one another and and cells sort of following um, chemical signals and chemokines as well um, is is methods of, of doing that and. Uh, a whole host of just um, uh, large sort of signaling pathways on a on a whole body basis um, that dictates what what goes on around the whole um, whole human body. Um, whether it's things like um, neurotransmitters and, and so on in in, in nerves, um, there's there's a whole host of, of different ways that um, cells around the body and, and tissues and organs communicate with one another to well <laughs> keep us alive. Um, so uh, it, yeah, the it's it's slowly coming to to light that um, they that vesicles are uh, an in- incredibly important part of that larger picture. I said, you know, if we want to make drugs uh, or package, you know, drugs in EVs to deliver them, or we want to let's say interfere with the EVs put out by a cancer cell, for instance, are there any cell types that have been identified that seem to just produce a very limited range or a very small amount of EVs, and maybe those would be easier to study and identify what they're doing versus maybe there's other cells that are really prolific and they put out dozens of kinds of EVs constantly and they're just very active. I mean, they're like active and non-active cells, and would that help you study this? Sure. In terms of, of cells that put out fewer types of EVs or, or fewer EVs in, in general, um, I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'm sure there there are certain cell lines that that produce EVs at much um, reduced rates and and things like that. But in terms of actually using a cell line that has natural capabilities to be able to treat a disease, probably one of the most well studied ones are MSCs, mesenchymal stem cells, or mesenchymal stromal cells, which seem to have a sort of a, a natural capability to for uh, things like wound healing and um, so on uh, and they've been they're the subject of, of quite a few ongoing uh, sort of clinical trials of, of EV based therapies there's there's uses for for EVs in uh, things like treating um, chronic kidney disease which is quite far along in uh, its its clinical trial um, well, it's clinical trials. It's it's in about phase two or three clinical trials um, at the moment, and um, 
the, there's also uses for, for MSCs. It's been seen in things like pancreatic cancer and um, things like ischemic stroke as well. They've, they've been seen to be useful in. So when you say used, are they used in are drugs being packaged, small molecules in, in EVs and delivered uh, to a site or how are they being used? So, so actually in terms of the, the chronic kidney disease study, um, that's that's in phase two or three um, trials that these EVs are actually unmodified that they have literally just um, EVs derived from mesenchymal stem cells and purified and then delivered to a patient so they seem to have a, a natural capability to be able to help patients suffering with chronic kidney disease. Oh how are they purified or even cultured or amassed in large amounts what's that process look like? So on in in a research um, based lab, the EVs are, are purified from cell culture supernatants. So the cells are grown either adherently to to flasks or, or dishes or in in suspension in in fluids itself, and um, the the cells are left for uh, a period of time. Um, usually around sort of three or four days or so to allow uh, enough EVs to be produced by the cell. Then cells are removed from the culture by uh, centrifugation um, at standard speeds that you'd be able to achieve with, with normal benchtop centrifuges. And then from there, there's, there's a variety of different ways that the field uses to try and purify EVs. Um, over the years, probably the, the most common method of purification is ultracentrifugation. So um, spinning down um, these, these uh, cultures of, of EVs uh, at very, very high speeds. Um, so you have to uh, apply um, forces up to 100,000 G on these, these vesicles to be able to pellet them. And, and remove them from a, a culture and, and purify them in that method. Though ultracentrifugation has had um, a couple of um, sort of issues um, with that as a method of purification. Um, there's, there's worries that it might disrupt the integrity of the EV itself and, and alter its, its shape. And there's sort of uncertainties as to whether those EVs would be um, therapeutically active so the in in general um, at least in our lab we've we've tried to move away from that as a as a method of purification and and we after the initial benchtop centrifugation step we move through to um, size exclusion chromatography so passing our um, uh, our concentrated cultures of vesicles um, through a, a liquid chromatographer to separate out um, larger um, bits of, of debris and so on that might have come from the cell culture and the the EVs themselves and in this way you can obtain quite a high purity of EVs admittedly not not the highest purity that you could possibly obtain out of, of all of the available methods of purification using things like um, immunoprecipitation which I alluded to earlier um, so tagging epitopes on the surface of the EV with a, a nanoparticle of some sort, like a, a polythene sort of particle, and then performing benchtop centrifugation again, um, you'd, you'd be able to precipitate down EVs that have a particular epitope on them and um, gain uh, the, the, the greatest purity possible um, in, in terms of um, purification methods we have so far. But then the issue with, with using that particular purification method is um, that 
you need to remove the, the antibody or whatever it is you're using on the surface of, of the EV if you want to then use those EVs to, to do something else, which is um, quite a difficult process to do without disrupting the EV itself. So if you're just trying to study a particular EV, um, then, then that's a fine method to use, but to actually get some use out of them, then it's, then it's not so great. So size exclusion is, is the method that, that we opt to, to go for uh, in our lab. Um, I am currently looking into some, some other methods in involving size exclusion chromatography to try and obtain um, better yields of EVs and, um, and better purities and uh, sort of working on at the moment. And uh, it involves the capture of, of um, proteins onto a column itself and, and the elution of, of EVs out the other side. Um, but we're sort of still working on removing things like um, genomic material, DNA, RNA, stuff like that from the cultures to obtain levels of purity that um, we, we can obtain with, with size exclusion um, at the moment. So uh, it's still in the works. Um, and in any, terms of... What about membranes? Are there any... You know, cell-like membranes or other membranes that you can pass all this stuff through, and only the EVs would come through of a certain, you know, size or type. Um, uh, off the top of my head, I'm not entirely sure, um, though. There's there's definitely technology out there for passing EVs through membranes and sort of um, labeling them or, or capturing on capturing them onto the membrane itself. So I wouldn't be surprised if if something like that does exist. I, I've just not sure of it off the off the top of my head so yeah that's that's a possibility okay so i guess yeah it would help really i mean it would help a lot if we knew more about the biogenesis and then the selectivity of the evs that are created and then how they're taken up by cells because then we could really you know science could really do much better targeting so yeah i guess all these things are super important to figure out yeah absolutely and um sort of looking further into these more biological um, questions is is a, a big focus of my my project so um, hopefully towards towards the end of my my defil we'll we'll have uh, a few more answers but um, there's still a lot to be a lot to be done and uh, there's still a, a vast amount that we we don't know about EVs um, so uh, yeah it, there's, there's still a lot more that needs to be done. Has science been able to create EV like objects you know you take a small molecule um, put them with some, uh, you know, some lipid bilayer membranes and maybe they would self-assemble somehow into EVs or have they been uh, created in the lab at all? Uh, yeah, sure. There, there are um, sort of synthetic sort of extracellular vesicles. And, and, and I mean, um, not, not even sort of creating a, a vesicle-like structure itself. There are things like um, metal nanoparticles, gold nanoparticles and um, so on that you can... Uh, again, a, a very similar size to, to vesicles in, in terms of nanometers in, in size um, that you can sort of label the surface of these, these metal nanoparticles um, with sort of a protein coating and then uh, attach uh, different sort of, uh, well, whatever you like, really, to, to the surface of, of these uh, particles. Um, but in, in terms of um, the, the details of that, I'm not entirely certain. It's not an area of expertise for me. Um, but uh, aside from those, in terms of uh, more biological um, methods of, of, of creating a synthetic vesicle, there's, there's uh, things called liposomes, um, which are essentially a, a minute sort of spherical uh, sack of, of uh, phospholipid molecules um, that enclose um, 
sort of space inside. So very much like like a visa call. Um, and there's there's also um, some work going on as well to create um, vesicles from um, membranes themselves. So um, typical lipid bilayer membranes that you would get from a cell so to create synthetic vesicles like that. Um, yeah, so there's that that is going on. Yeah. So what do you think will be possible for you in the next year or so? You know, what are some near term uh, things that you, you think you might be able to figure out? Well, um, I mentioned briefly that, that I'm working on a, a sort of new method of, of purification that um, involves the capture of proteins onto um, a, a column and then elution of the EVs out the other side. That's that's a project that is uh, sort of coming coming to its end. Where we're just trying to work out how to how best to eliminate as much sort of DNA and RNA from the the EVs that we're, we're getting out the other side of these these columns to, before we um, start uh, being able to, to write up this research and and put it out there as a as a viable method of, of purification for for vesicles. Um, but but aside from from that, working on um, methods to uh, sort of track um, vesicles in um, uh, well in, in vivo biodistribution studies. Um, so the current current methods of in vivo biodistribution when it comes to uh, EVs is, is to simply tag them with uh, a fluorescent marker. Um, but there's sort of a lot of associated errors in doing that and um, the and not actually being able to see um, how many vesicles end up at a, a particular area in a very sensitive manner and, uh, and, and not being able to distinguish um, fluorescence above um, background levels. So we're looking at, at um, developing a method called uh, barcoding, which is essentially um, tagging the surface of vesicles with uh, synthetic strands of single-stranded DNA. Um, and uh, obviously them being synthetic, they're not present uh, anywhere else in, in the, the human genome. So if we can successfully tag the surface of an EV and um, then deliver it in a, in a biodistribution study, we can, in theory, um, detect how many EVs end up at any one particular site on a, on a single EV basis. So it would be a, a very sensitive approach to um, in, in vivo biodistribution. And we've made some, um, some decent ground on, on that project in the last um, year or so. Um, and yeah, hope, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to make um, more ground in, in, in the coming months and, and uh, potentially have that as a, as a new method for uh, in, in vivo biodistribution when it comes to, to EVs. Um, and then sort of finally, um, moving back to sort of heterogeneity. Heterogeneity, I, I've sort of looked into EV heterogeneity in the context of uh, a number of different um, cell lines over the last year, mainly actually um, cancer-based cell lines. So I've looked at um, ovarian cancer uh, cell lines and how um, there are numerous subpopulations of, of EVs that are um, produced by these ovarian cancer cells that um, are, have, have been shown to be able to um, influence the metastatic growth of um, of, of ovarian cancer cells at, at distant sites in, in the human body and uh, also looked at, at breast cancer cells and how um, uh, the clonal drift or phenotypic drift of a cell um, can ultimately uh, influence the phenotype of an EV in, in a very short space of time 
um, talking on it by a week by week basis of, of purification, the, the phenotype of the EVs changes. Um, and we're, we're doing some further research to try and work out um, whether that's linked to um, the, the cellular phenotypic drift uh, itself or whether that's due to epigenetic factors or um, genomic instability of, of the cell line itself. Um, but then sort of further down the line in terms of, of heterogeneity, I'll, I'll be um, starting up this sort of single cell cloning of, of, um, of mesenchymal stem cells as it happens um, and seeing whether we can uh, see differences in, in EVs that are produced from these single cell clone populations and ultimately identify uh, an EV subpopulation that is better at performing a, a specific therapeutic function than uh, another uh, subpopulation um, produced by, by the same cell line. One thing I, I didn't ask you about very much is what, what is the typical cargo of an EV and what do the, uh, you have heard microRNAs, things like that, but uh, what, what potential effects can the cargo of an EV have on a recipient cell? Well, well, the cargo, the cargo of an EV is ultimately how an EV communicates with a recipient cell. Uh, an EV will will be taken up in some manner by a recipient cell, and, and its cargo um, will be what what dictates the message that it relays to that cell and the effect that it has on it. Um, so, it, in terms of the, the cargos that we know of, um, there's things like um, mRNAs, microRNAs from the the cell itself. Um, cytoplasmic proteins, membrane proteins, um, receptors, nuclear fragmentations, um, the even potentially sort of cell organelles as well that could be transferred via EVs. Um, there's a whole host of, of different cargoes that can be transported with them. Okay, well, very good. Um, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're working on and you know check it out and uh, speak to you maybe about collaboration and sure. be in touch? Sure. So um, there's a there's a lot of information available online um, about extracellular vesicles. Um, just just sort of more broadly speaking, if if your audience wants to um, know a bit more about them, there's there's a good few um, papers as well that I, I can send over to you and and people can have a have a little look at. Uh, in in terms of getting in contact with me, I my my email address is um, uh, scott.bonner at uh, wolfson. Uh, .ox.ac.uk um, if people want to get in contact with me about collaboration or just want to know more about vesicles I'm more than happy to, to have a chat yeah I'm, I'm also on LinkedIn and so on if, if people want to find me there just Scott Bonner on LinkedIn um, yeah very good Scott thanks for coming I appreciate it okay thanks for having me Richard cheers you're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better. 
steer you towards a new career or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.